Well, tis the season for asking. Every kid I know is clamoring to get a spot on Santa's knee. My youngest niece just is asking for all things Paw Patrol. My other niece is asking for another dinosaur. And my grandmother is asking, begging Ryan and me to give her a great grandson. And uh, this kid here uh, was stubborn and uncooperative on Monday, so we have no idea at this point if Grand's wish will be granted or not. But it's the season of asking, and you know, while we tend to decry the commercialization of Christmas, I'm not sure that the asking bit is that far off from the reason for the season. I mean, when we think about the fact that Christmas, this time that we celebrate, is the culmination of the cries of the poets and the prophets and the Old Testament, crying out to God, come, oh come, Emmanuel. The whole season of Advent is about the looking forward to, the longing for, the desperate seeking for and waiting for the gift of God. And asking God for the deepest desires of our hearts is seen all throughout Scripture. I mean, Hannah asked God for a son. Solomon asked God for wisdom. Elijah asked God that the fire would fall on the offering. The woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years just asked for healing. And Jesus himself, on the cross, asked God to forgive those who had crucified him. This idea of asking God for those deep desires, is a part of the Christian experience. Now, if you've got your Bibles with you this weekend, go ahead and turn over to Matthew 7. I'll get there in a moment. If you don't, it's no problem. We're going to throw the scriptures on the screen. But um, last weekend, Pastor Mark started a new series called Please, Sorry, Thanks. And he focused on thanksgiving, the idea of gratitude. And what we're going to do this weekend is jump right back to the beginning and look at the word please. How do we ask God for the things that we want? And I think what we'll, we'll try to do this weekend is to look at what is probably one of the most recognizable but maybe least practiced teachings of Jesus about how to approach God with what we want, with what we want to ask him for. And it comes right at the end of um, a series of, of chapters where Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. And it's this, this season, or it's this sermon where Jesus talks about who we're called to be as his followers and how we're to respond to him and how we're supposed to react to one another. And as he comes to the end of that, in verse 7 of chapter 7 of Matthew, he says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, let's just pause for a minute and think about this. God is all loving. He's all wise. He's all knowing. He is completely holy and righteous. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. 
And yet he's inviting us to ask him for good gifts. Not only, not only inviting us to ask him for good gifts, but urging us to ask and seek and knock, commanding us to ask for those things. He's inviting us to full participation in the work that he's doing in our lives and in the world around us. Ask, and it'll be given. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Now, I think there are a few reasons why we don't do this. I mean, one could be simply uh, wrong beliefs. We have the wrong beliefs about who God is. We have wrong beliefs about his character. We don't really believe that he's a good God that wants good things for us. Or maybe we don't realize that we're really sons and daughters of God. Maybe we don't realize the promises that the Bible gives us about how God wants to interact in our lives. So maybe we don't ask because we have wrong beliefs, or maybe we don't ask because, secondly, we just have distorted perspective. Maybe we underestimate what God is able to do for us, and we overestimate what we can do for ourselves. I think a third reason why sometimes we don't ask is because of bad experiences. Maybe we felt burned by God in the past or abandoned by him, or ignored by him. So why would we go to him again? Why would we take that risk to go again to him to ask for something? Or maybe someone around us in our lives has made us feel unimportant, and so we can't imagine that we would be important to God. I think a fourth reason why maybe we don't ask is just simply a lack of knowledge. We don't know how to pray. We don't know how to enter into that space with God and, and ask him for the desires of our heart. Or maybe prayer is something that's just always been a, a ritual or a rote memorization for us. Maybe you're here this weekend and one or two of these things have distorted the way that you've approached God or distorted the way that you've understood prayer. And what I want to do this weekend, in this passage, we see two very valuable principles about how to pray. One is that we're to pray with persistence. The second is that our prayer has to be rooted in a confidence in God's character. So let's look at that first one about praying with persistence. The original language in this passage, the verbs of ask, seek, knock, they're present imperative verbs. Now, Pastor Mark talked about this last weekend. You got a little bit of, uh, of Greek class in the sermon last weekend that these verbs carry with it the idea of ongoing, continual acts, uh, action. You don't just ask once, you keep on asking. You keep on seeking. You keep on knocking. You keep on keeping on. And what we also see with these verbs is there's an escalation of intensity. You go from asking, kind of a simple declaration of a wish. It's like my four-year-old niece, Sarah Kate, who asks for a snack. I want a snack. And when the snack is denied... She takes it to a new level. She goes seeking. She gets up out from the floor from where she's playing with her toys and she walks over to Aunt Heather's plate and puts her grubby little hands in my Thanksgiving leftovers. She's put feet to it. She started to pursue it. She's put action behind what she wants. She's seeking. And then her parents see her and reprimand her, at which point she begins to yell and scream and cry and kick. She has escalated to knocking. She's making some noise 
to make her request known. She even goes so far as to claim she didn't have lunch or have dinner. I mean, it gets ridiculous. But there's this escalation of intensity about asking God for what we want. And then to flesh this out even more, Jesus tells two different stories. And they, they show up in the book of Luke. They show up in two different places. But most scholars believe that Jesus probably told these stories back to back right after giving this teaching in order to illustrate it. And the first one we find is in Luke chapter 11. And it's the story about uh, a friend who is persistent with a neighbor. And, and here's what it says, Luke 11 verse 5. Then teaching them more about prayer, he, Jesus, used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Now, we read this story and we're a little bit clouded because we live in the 21st century in a Western culture. So we're probably thinking, yeah, I would have said the same thing. The door's locked for the night, my kids are asleep, go away. It's the middle of the night. How rude are you? But in first century Middle Eastern culture, the guy being rude is the guy that refuses to help his friend. See, in that culture, hospitality was of the utmost importance. In fact, if there was a guest to the village, it didn't matter who they were visiting, it was the responsibility of the entire village to take care of that person. It was just part of their code of honor. And so as Jesus is telling this story to his listeners, to hear that there's a man who doesn't want to help his neighbor, even though it's the middle of the night, it's unthinkable, it's unimaginable. They are absolutely appalled that this person wouldn't help out their friend. And not only that, the guy sounds a little bit dumb because he's like, my kids are sleeping, go away or you'll wake them up. And I'm like, they've been having this long conversation. Don't you think the kids are already awake? Like, they live in a one-room little house in this village. Like, I'm sure the kids are already awake. So he just sounds like a jerk. But Jesus says, but despite that, eventually he's going to come to the door and give the neighbor, give the man what he's asking for because of his shameless persistence. There's a tenacity, there's a brazenness, there's this shameless persistence. And Jesus says, that's what prayer should be like. He tells another story, Luke 18, and this story is about a judge and a widow who's seeking justice. And in verse 1, it says, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. At least the man's self-aware and honest. <laughs> I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. 
Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? The judge says, she's wearing me out. That phrase in the original language is actually borrowed from a, it's a boxing term. It's, it's borrowed from, from that sport. And it, it literally means she's going to knock me out. She's going to give me a black eye. See, sometimes prayer is going back into the ring for one more round with God. I don't think prayer is passive. I think sometimes we resort to prayer when we think we have nothing else to do. We resort to prayer as kind of this passive, timid, well, maybe if God wants to help. But according to these stories, it is aggressive. It's being willing to go one more round. I think saying please to God requires us to go the distance. It's like those four men who have a friend that's paralyzed on the mat and they carry him up to the roof and they, they wrestle him all the way up there and they dig a hole in the roof and lower him down so that they might get their friend in the presence of Jesus. It's like the woman who breaks every societal norm every religious rule, every expectation of good, upstanding citizens and bust into a party to let her hair down to wash the feet of Jesus. It's like a Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus and is pleading with him to heal her daughter and at first Jesus just ignores her. And she keeps on asking. And finally Jesus says, I've come to those of the house of Israel and the Canaanite woman says, please help me. And Jesus says, it is not right to take food from the children and give it to the dogs. This is Jesus. I mean, Jesus is sounding, I, I mean, like, Jesus sounds like a little bit of a jerk here. He's telling this Canaanite woman, it's not right for me to take the food from the children and give it to the dogs. But he has met his match in this woman because she says, even the dogs get to eat the scraps from the master's table. She was not willing to get out of the ring with Jesus. And because of that, Jesus says to her, dear woman, your faith is very great. Your daughter is healed. Sometimes we've just got to be willing to go the distance, to go another round. And I know what some of you are thinking because I ask it myself, wait a minute, is this really okay? Is it really okay to talk back to Jesus like that? Is it really okay to approach him with, with such a brazen attitude? Is it okay for us to like have the audacity to think we can tell God what he should do? This is just what Jesus taught his followers. See, I wonder if saying please to God has less to do with exhibiting good manners and more to do with extreme persistence. Because what Jesus is commanding his followers to do is to, to keep asking to the, point, to the point where it's like annoying, even to the point where it's irreverent. And yet Jesus seems to honor and answer the prayers that pester. Now I think it's also worth us looking at another dimension of this. We can't miss in these stories and it's, it's the presence of humility in all of these people. 
Every one of these people has been dropped to this state of desperate determination and inherent in their persistence itself is a posture of humility. They're coming on their knees to God with nothing else. And I wonder, I just wonder if sometimes in my life, I miss out on the blessings and the good gifts of God because I'm not willing to look or feel foolish enough. Because I don't want to be foolishly persistent. We have to pray with persistence. I think the other side of this is we have to pray with confidence in God's character. So he says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. For those that ask will receive, those who seek will find, those who knock, the door will be open. And then he starts talking about parents and children. New Testament scholar Brad Young makes the bold claim that the problem with prayer is God. The problem with prayer is God. And he goes on to explain that, that what we believe and what we experience in prayer is wrapped up entirely in what we believe to be true about God's character. Do we really believe that God is good and faithful and sovereign and trustworthy? Do we really believe that he will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly? He gives a total of seven promises in that passage. If you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be open. For those who ask, receive. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it will be open to them. And then he ties it all up at the very end by saying, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? And he compares himself to earthly fathers. He says, look, you parents out there, if your kid asks for bread, will you give him a stone? If they ask for a fish, will you give him a snake? Unless you're into really sick jokes, no. And you guys are sinful. No matter how good a parent you are, you're flawed, but you still know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father, who is a good father, the best father, the perfect father, give good gifts to his children? Listen to me this weekend. If you don't get anything else, there are no foster children in the family of God. Every single person who is in Christ is a fully adopted son or daughter of the king. Do we pray like we believe that? Do we pray like we believe and have confidence in God's character? You know, Jesus told these parables about the annoying friend and the persistent widow, first of all, to encourage his followers to be persistent in prayer. But he also told them to challenge their notions about who God was. See, what Jesus was realizing is that his followers were approaching God as though he were not a trustworthy friend. Or as though he were not a just judge. That, man, I'll, I'll ask God for things, but I don't know that I can trust him. I'm not sure he's really a trustworthy friend. I know he's a friend. I don't know if I can trust him completely. I know he's a judge, but he's God, so he's going to do whatever he wants anyway. And so Jesus tells these stories with these exaggerated personalities and characterizations to show the people how their views of God were wrong. Of course he's not an untrustworthy friend. Of course he's not an evil judge. 
And even in those situations, because of persistence, those people came through with goodness on the other side. How much more will a trustworthy friend, will a righteous judge, will a loving father give good gifts to those who ask him? A.W. Tozer said, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. When you think about God, what comes to your mind frames everything. How you view yourself, how you view the world, how you view those around you. And it will most certainly frame the way you approach prayer. Pray with persistence. Pray with a confidence in God's character that he is good and he's faithful and he's trustworthy and he's loving. Now, if you're like me, you always come to this point, though, where you say, but wait a minute. Don't you have to pray in God's will? And what is all that about? And how can we even begin to know God's will? And we start doing kind of spiritual and mental and emotional gymnastics with that. Because we know from common sense and we know from our own experience that God doesn't always give us what we ask for or seek for or knock about. So how do we understand this passage when it comes to the day-to-day realities of our lives? Well, I think one of the things that we have to understand about Scripture, there, there's, there's a principle of reading and understanding and applying Scripture that is you always allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. You let the Bible interpret itself. And what that means is, first of all, we have to read things in context, We can't just pick things out and and let them mean whatever we think they should mean on their own. We have to read in context. And then secondly, we have to read it against the backdrop of the entirety of Scripture. And so here are a couple things that we find when we read this um, under those principles. One, the passage is summarized in the very end with Jesus saying that God will give good gifts to those who ask. He'll give good gifts to his children. There may be a vast difference in our understanding of good and God's understanding of good. God has a perspective that we just don't have. And Pastor Tim Keller said this, if you and I knew everything that God knows, we would answer our prayers the exact same way he did. If we knew everything God knew, if we had his perspective, Tim Keller argues we would answer our prayers the same way that he has done. See, I think the reality is what seems best to us is not always what is best for us. He said, I'll give good gifts. The other thing that we see when we read this in the larger context is this comes on the heels of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is telling his followers what kind of people they should be. That we should be lovers of justice, that we should be merciful, that we should walk in humility, that we should love our our enemies, that we should long to be more generous, that we should be fast to forgive people. And and after he gives all this teaching, he says, and so, so whatever you ask, you'll receive. Whatever you seek, you'll find. Whatever you knock for, that door will be open. What if what Jesus is most encouraging us to do is to pray and seek and knock that we will become those things? 
What if prayer has a lot more to do with who we're becoming than with what we're getting? If at the end of this Sermon on the Mount, we're asking, pleading with God, as we go into this Christmas season, God, help me to love my enemies. Help me forgive those who have hurt me. Help me to be the peacemaker in my family. What if we were asking and seeking and knocking for that stuff with the kind of persistence that Jesus teaches? How would that change the world that we live in? And then the other thing we see is that we know from the whole backdrop of Scripture that God doesn't always give people what they ask for, even good people. Paul had a thorn in his flesh that he lived with for his entire life. He wanted it gone. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Habakkuk prays for revival, and God says, well, I'm, I'm going to actually do this instead. I'm going to send the Babylonians in to send your people into exile. The psalmist declares that God's Thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and God's ways are higher than our ways. And so what happens is I do these gymnastics, and I, I do these, um, this wrestling within my own self of, well, God, I don't know what to pray for because I want to make sure that it's in your will. If your thoughts are higher than my thoughts and your ways are higher than my ways, how am I ever to know how to pray in the way that you want me to pray? And then what happens is I run the risk of not praying at all. And instead of coming to him tenaciously and persistently I come to him timidly and hesitantly and even try to make excuses for why he doesn't have to do what I'm asking him to do. And I wonder, I just wonder if our biggest problem is not that we pray outside of God's will but that we fail to pray at all and thereby ensure that we never even know what his will is. See, sometimes I get so caught up in thinking about what is it that I'm really supposed to be praying for that I, I fail to pray at all. But prayer at its root is really about getting to know the heart of God. If we want to know God's will, we have to know God, and that comes from spending time with him. See, if we prioritize the relationship over the request, then as Pastor Mark says, prayer isn't about asking God to get on our agenda, but it's about asking God to show us his agenda for us. And all of a sudden, our prayers change. We move from asking from temporal luxuries to those things that pay eternal dividends. We move from asking for stuff to asking that will be people who experience love and hope and joy and peace. We, begin to, uh, we stop asking for stuff for ourselves. We begin asking for other people. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open to you. Pray with persistence. Go after it. Whatever it is that's on your heart, just go after it. And pray with a confidence in God's character. And here are just a, a few practical ways to do this. One, fasting. Fasting heightens our awareness and sharpens our ears so that we can hear God. Now, here's one thing I've experienced about fasting, and I don't know that this is true of everybody, but when I fast, God becomes incredibly talkative. Only it's usually not talkative about the things I'm asking about. And that's really annoying. <laughs> and, and I don't know if, if it's a matter of something about my fasting makes God talk more, or if it's just that my fasting makes it easier for he, me to hear what he's already always saying. 
But either way, he's incredibly talkative, but he's often not talking about what I'm asking about specifically. But here's what happens. My relationship with God is strengthened. I get to know God better. I get to know something about God better. And that's the most important thing anyway. The second thing I would encourage you to do is circle. To dream big, pray hard, think long. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's this little book called The Circle Maker. If you're here this week and you don't have it, get it. It's this whole idea of being persistent, about having confidence in God's character and persistent in the desires of our heart that we lay before him. A couple of years ago, there were things that I was so desperately seeking God on that I'm really surprised the carpet at the front of um, Barracks Row Theater isn't completely worn down. Circle it. And, and one way to do that is to journal your prayers. In my journal, there are things circled. There are lists of things that I was praying for, that I am praying for, that I continue to pray for. And what happens when we write this stuff down is it gives us an opportunity later to express gratitude, to give worship to God when he answers them. Because here's, here's what I suspect. Your prayer list today will become a record of God's faithfulness tomorrow. Your prayer list today holds the potential to become the record of God's faithfulness in your life down the road. So journal. Um, another thing that I do is once a year, Ryan and I go on a prayer retreat. We just get off uh, for a couple of days and, and we talk and we pray. We pray for things in our own lives. We pray for our friends. We pray for our families. We pray for the things that we're seeking God about. You can do that on your own. You can do it with your family. You can do it with a group of friends. But mark some time off to intentionally seek God. And then finally, engage others. I don't believe that prayer was designed to be a, a solo event all of the time. I think it's supposed to be a team sport. If there's something in your life you're seeking God about, I would encourage you to engage the prayers of others because what you're doing is inviting them into a potential miracle. Everybody wants to be a part of a miracle. If you're needing one in your life, invite people in so they get that experience of participating in a miraculous work that God wants to do. Now, I know this message is a little bit out of character for me. God wants to give you good stuff. Ask away. Yay, it's Christmas. I mean, if you've been around NCC for any length of time, you know, like, I get, I wind up with the messages on God's wrath and his, his jealousy. And even when I get a good one, like, God is love, I turn it into, you know, God really isn't very nice. <laughs> but I believe that God is incredibly good. He is good, and you cannot convince me that he wants anything other than good things for his kids. If God is willing to leave his throne and come to earth and die on a cross, you just cannot convince me that he's not also willing to give good gifts to his kids. So what do you do when his actions collide with your expectations? What do we do when God doesn't show up and show off the way that we think he could or should? Now that's a question that can't even be answered in this sermon series, much less in two minutes. 
But there are times when we know we've experienced, I've experienced it. We ask God for things. We seek him. We knock. We believe that we're in the middle of his will. We stand on his character and in his promises. We engage others. And God just doesn't respond in the way that we think he could or should. The job doesn't come through. The kids don't make the decisions that we've been so desperately praying they would make. The cancer isn't healed. There are moments in life where we experience circumstances where it sure seems that God is acting inconsistently with his character and promises as we understand them from scripture. What do we do in those moments? What do we do in light of the things that Jesus has taught us? I've experienced this. I'm sure you have as well. And I wish I had an answer that was just so easy that I could just give you and it makes everything fall into place theologically and experientially. But I don't have that and I don't want to leave you tonight with empty promises or shallow sentiments. What I do know is this. At the end of the day, regardless of what comes through, what happens and what doesn't, we get Jesus. We get Jesus himself and no amount of blessings in the world, we could stack them all up. None of them come close to the joy that we experience in his presence. In fact, Psalm 1611 says that in his presence is fullness of joy. And at the end of the day, I found that no matter what blessing, what good gift, what good thing we are searching after, nothing compares to the presence of Jesus. So no matter where you are this weekend, my prayer is that the presence of God would invade the reality of your life. I mean, that's really what Advent was all about anyway. The children of God had experienced his protection. They'd experienced his provision. But what they most desperately needed was his presence. Now, if you're here this weekend and, and you've never experienced that presence of Jesus, it's as, it's as easy as, please, sorry, thanks. It's saying, God, I am so sorry that I have lived with no regard for you in my life. I'm sorry that I've done things that have been displeasing to you. Thank you for sending your son to earth. Thank you for sending him to the cross. Thank you for dying so that I could live. Please invade the reality of my life. Please forgive me. Please take the reins of my life. And thank you again for who you are and what you've done. If you're here this weekend and you need to experience the presence of Jesus for the first time, that's where you start. Keep on asking and you'll receive. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. I believe that God desires to give good gifts to his children. So be persistent in what you're asking for. Stand firm in confidence in the character of God. Grasp on to his promises. But at the end of the day, my biggest prayer for you is that above all else, you'd experience his presence. God, I thank you that you, 
You've made it so clear in scripture that even a kid could understand. Just keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. God, there are people here this weekend that they need courage and they need boldness and they need just the energy. They need the mental and emotional energy to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would do that this weekend. God, that there would just be a new jolt of energy to be able to continue to pray for the desires that you've placed on their hearts. And God, I pray for those that are in places where the answer hasn't come yet or the answer came in a way that they weren't expecting. God, I pray that your peace and your goodness and your sovereignty and faithfulness, that your presence would invade their lives. God, I pray that more than anything, we would know that you're a good father, that we would know that you're a good God, that you're faithful, you are trustworthy, you are loving, and you are provider. God, I pray that in this season of asking, we would ask for the right things, that we would look a little bit more like you in the process. And God, at the end of the day, we would take your presence wherever we go because we've been so changed in your company. God, for anybody here this weekend that doesn't know you, I pray that you would just come into their life in ways that changes them, in ways that they can't even imagine. God, that this Christmas season for them would be um, the coming of you into their lives. That this would be the Christmas that everything changes. In Jesus' name, amen.